Welcome to the Unsung Podcast. We're back. It feels like we've been away for ages. <laughs> Speak for yourself, man. I've been editing <laughs> all week. <laughs> I, like, honestly, like yesterday was about 75% just you two guys talking. So, uh-huh. yeah, Sorry about that. No, it doesn't feel like time away for me. <laughs> <laughs> I am joined by two of the human highlight reels. Uh, I am MF Chump. I am... Oh, shit, I don't know. MDMF. Yeah, M- <laughs> <laughs> I am B and Q. MDMF. <laughs> MFI. Got wood. Uh, yeah, quite a week. Quite a week. Quite a week, indeed. Did you, did, did you have any money on something atrocious going down at the inauguration? I didn't, actually. I should have put something on. Well, yeah. no, you shouldn't, because nothing happened. No, nothing happened, but I mean, given the, given the atmosphere beforehand, it would have been a safe bet. I think Ozzy would have been okay on something happening. Even though nothing did happen in the end. <laughs> exactly, it wasn't a safe bet. So this is... I thought you were a gambling man. That's what I'm saying. I think the odds would have been quite decent <laughs> until until the actual day off. Is this our uh, our first non-Trump podcast? It is. It is. That's some buzz, f- isn't it? Will, will Unsung Podcast even work in the post-Trump era? Well, I mean, Johnson. as we all know, the Democratic Party <laughs> is perfect. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are exceptionally progressive economically and uh, socially and um, basically everything is solved and racism is over. See, this is the point where we stop making big grandstand uh, mic drop proclamations because Trump's done something insane and just start haggling over the minutia, but uh, I actually think they're all right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm much further to the left than them, but I'm just so fucking glad to have somebody that I don't feel is about to fall asleep face down in the nuclear button uh, at any moment. And yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. No, you I'm are like, right. It's like we now have somebody who is... Um, I think the phrase a decent human being is fairly relevant. You know, I mean, we can say what we want about politics and politicians and duplicitousness. And yeah, I know they come out with a lot of shit, especially in America. I mean, you still can't go over the amount of pomp and nonsense and how the fuck do they take that flag waving bullshit so seriously. Garth Brooks singing that song and I mean they're, they're really like it's just it's so absurd I think to especially Scottish people um, to watch what Americans get up to when they're talking about their country but even then I do think this crew are at least I mean did you see that they did a did, did you see the, the presidential briefing it was it was it was normal it was like a, a woman that could speak in full sentences saying things that didn't make you just fall off your fucking seat it was it was so tedious i loved it it was just completely functional and informative stuff i didn't care about really That's well the exact- fact is like we are going back to <laughs> boring politics hopefully well at least in america and yeah like politics was always supposed to be boring it always that's, was boring when that's kind of the ideal scenario when you're just like you're just whittling down little details you're not like deciding whether or not you're going to wipe out iran that's yeah, a it's fa- supposed to be <laughs> it's supposed to be just administration basically and making sure everything works and that everybody gets paid and fed on time as my friend callum said to me yesterday uh, give it two years and uh, biden will be drilling into his soup and fucking Biden Trump will have declared a thousand year Reich. <laughs> <laughs> see, well, that's I went, optimistic. I went, it's interesting. See, you could say that about Rupert Murdoch, but he's doing okay at his age, and there's certainly plenty. But of, Biden's certainly sundowning, though. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's slower than he is, man. Could you do what Biden does? I bet you fucking couldn't, man. I bet you couldn't have given that fucking speech. I would not. Like, I would not have thought about doing it, though. So I guess that's you what this is. I mean. It is an unbelievable amount of pressure, and the guy fully conceded that he didn't want to do this. It was literally only after Charlottesville that he was like, I'm going to run, and if it takes me being a moderate and using my connections to different communities to get this guy out of office, then it's triage. It's like, that's what it's got to be. And, I mean, Kamala Harris is president. I'm fucking, I'm fine with that, man. She's good. I have no problem She's with good. that either. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, to hell with it. Uh, it's interesting, but I don't think... Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's over. You've got your kind of Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi when all the Muppets arrive. <laughs> so, yeah. Lo and behold, though, we decided to do an episode. We changed tack, as we mentioned in the previous show, uh, and we were going to do a different hip-hop... Is it hip-hop? Yeah. yeah. Different hip-hop record. And we're going to do this one instead in honour of MF Doom. 
come to cut the mix master ICE Cole, nice to be old Y2G Steve twice to threefold He sold scrolls, low and behold Know who's the illest ever, like the greatest story told Keep your glory golden glitter for half half Mark, uh, this is your choice uh, Over to you, I'm going to get my Game Boy on mute <laughs> <laughs> If you need me for anything, just wave And I'll try and keep the corner of my eye on the screen Well it was uh, kind, of, kind of, it was my choice but me and Dave kind of conferred on it, right? We did decide yeah, this was probably yeah, the best the best one to go for. So I've decided to do uh, Mad Villainy by Mad Villain, which is one of MF Doom's collaborative projects. This episode is mostly going to be focusing on Doom, obviously. But this is uh, MF Doom and Mad Lib. <laughs> When he really hits star mode Never will he boost loose fillies with the barcode Or take a whole car load on a wasted trip Or sit wide out as a so far only album they've done together and widely regarded as being one of the most important hip hop albums of all time and I'm just going to put it out there before we even begin uh, in the week after Doom uh, died uh, this album went silver in the UK <laughs> just, did it? I didn't realise yeah. that yeah it's mental <laughs> well um, yeah so I, I guess the starting point is that uh, we're doing this because MF Doom or his death was announced on uh, New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. I got a little text from you, Mark, while I was um, DJing at home to my friends. And <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's MF Doom, sad face." But it was kind of a, a weird one because it turned out he died two months prior, and mm. uh, it on Halloween just been announced. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty badass. That's very Doom. <laughs> yeah, kind of suits him. Yeah, um, so we've decided to do this episode on his extensive discography, um, but I'm going to put this out there now and just say that it's probably worth saying, and we're not going to be covering all of his discography. Um, he's done a lot of collab records. Um, we'll cover the, all of the Doom albums, I guess, the Victor Vaughn ones, the King Ghidorah ones, some of the collab albums, but uh, none of the 10 instrumental albums that he did uh, over the course of like five years at the start of the 2000s. And they are great, and if you like what you last, if you like if you like what you hear here, and you haven't listened to them before, I'd recommend checking them out. And um, there's actually a great compilation on Spotify, so we won't be touching them. And he's done a whole bunch of fucking guest spots and tracks, which I've, I guess I don't know about you, Dave. I'll cover a couple of them, but I've not really went in, in too much depth on those either. But I certainly keep them to the core, the core Doom stuff, I would say, and and mm-hmm. personas, which is a big important thing in his kind of yeah. I'd probably just talk about his influence as well his background mm-hmm. um he genuinely is a bit of an absolute fucking legend and i think we probably would have come to him at some point anyway had it not been for his passing yeah can i throw in one of the very few things i know uh your favorite rapper's favorite rapper and that yes. for me and that's for me that's definitely true my favorite rapper is this this guy was my favorite rapper so yeah so <laughs> and he is probably his own favorite rapper so yeah uh, so let's let's begin then. MF Doom or Doom, which he was kind of known as in his later career because he felt MF Doom was too formal. Um, was born <laughs> Daniel Dumoulin uh, in July nineteen seventy one. He was born in London, um, which is mad. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. his family he never got American citizenship. He would, he had, yeah, yeah. His family moved to New York, Long Island, New York, when he was a child. His dad was a school teacher, and his mum was a nurse. And even though his none of them had dad was Zimbabwean, his mum was Trinidadian. Yeah, yeah. And even though he had, even though him or his family had no affiliation with Britain, like you say, Chris, he never ever gained American citizenship, and actually he was denied entry into the US after a European tour in two thousand and nine, and lived in London from from then onwards. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because I know that pretty early on was it like May of like ninety one, him and his collaborator Onyx. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Uh, they they testified before a Senate committee on voter a voter registration bill, but surely Dumoulin wasn't actually eligible to vote then. Well, you, you would have thought he, at that point in his life, he, sh- he should definitely he would have applied. He would have he would have been eligible <laughs> to gain naturalised like citizenship in the US, but for some reason he just never ever claimed it. I don't know if it's partly because of the religion thing. You know, he was brought up a black Muslim, um, and his family were part of that, and. You know, the early KMD stuff is quite reflective of that, that the circles they moved in um, and all that. And a lot of his early music and stuff was kind of really influenced by growing up as a, as a black Muslim in New York. At least they uh, probably died thinking he'd made the right decision. Yeah. Well, after after he 
get an identity for the U- the US. He said, um, "I'm done with the UK," and then he spent two years waiting. Done with the UK. Yeah, done, done with the US. the US. Sorry, and then he then he spent two years waiting for his uh, wife and child to to come over um, to be with him in London. But then he obviously lived out the rest of his days there. Aye, because fucking Britain's cracking right now, eh? Yeah. <laughs> we've, got it, we've got it all sorted. <laughs> so uh, he was kind of a geeky... Well, actually, I say kind of a geeky kid. He was a total fucking geek growing up. Um, there's an interview from 2003, um, which you can find on the Ambrosia for Heads website, uh, which talks about how he was really big into comics and video games as well as music, and that plays a huge part throughout his yeah. entire career. Um, <laughs> obviously, the comics thing is hugely pertinent because of the Doom moniker and all the various different personas that he has. Um, he initially began DJing at parties, which is how he kind of get into production and beat making and all that. Um, he started off by mixing hip-hop songs into kind of what he calls slow songs, so I guess the R&B jams and all that. And that kind of got him hooked on production and making beats. In 1988, he formed uh, KMD. Yeah, can you get the job done with Joe? I take the Causing much damage with his brother, DJ Subrock, and another DJ called MC Rodan, who then left oh, and was replaced. Also, uh, by can we just say, uh, also a Godzilla villain? Rodan. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this is a bunch of geeks, right? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's cute, but it's a bunch of geeks. He went by the name uh, Zev Love X, which I guess was his first moniker. And they, like I said, they used the experience of coming from a black Muslim family as the inspiration for that album. Uh, they began as a graffiti crew that also liked to dabble in breakdancing. <laughs> uh, but that's pretty crucial because that whole graffiti vibe is in pretty much all of his artwork. Uh, every, mm-hmm. every kind of merch item that he does. So it was clearly very, obviously, quite foundational for him as an influence. Growing up, his early aesthetic was clearly defined by that. It's kind of nice that a fairly killer bit of MF Doom graffiti sprung up just after his death was announced in Glasgow. Eh? We've added another one since as well, next right, oh, ne- right next to it, yeah, on the wall. Yeah, right and next that was it. God. I only saw that like on January like the fifth or something. So it was within like two or three days. Yeah, it must have gone straight like, up. It's it's big, really huge nice piece next to the Clyde. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can see it from right across the river. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like catching. They, they met a guy called MC Search at a community event from the, the, the hip-hop duo Third Bass and then they then appeared on the song called a song of theirs called The Gas Face which then mm-hmm. led to them getting signed to uh, Electra Records which is the first and only major record deal that uh, Doom had ever had and uh, they released their first album Mr. Hood in 1991 It's interesting going back and listening to the, the KMD stuff uh, obviously I'm a little bit uh, what's the word I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone here, but it definitely has a distinctly different feel, that kind of, like, 90s stuff. It's a bit more, like, accessible and mm-hmm. less ag- aggressive and... You know, it's got fewer edges on it, mm-hmm. and you can hear why it might have been seen as being quite palatable. I, like I watched a couple of videos of people that were big fans going through his catalogue, but talking quite fondly of the early stuff, saying, "You know, what what I'm sure you're about to tell us, if that hadn't transpired, like it is a band that could have gone on to do some. Um, they 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 had some, uh, they had some chops. Yeah, you know, like um, kind of in the late eighties, early nineties, the the hip hop sound kind of bifurcated, right? You, you kind of had this sort of boom bap sound, which was very influenced by some of the kind of Run DMC style hip hop that was kind of kicking around in the late eighties, and that then influenced things like De La Soul and a tribe called Quest, and you can hear that in KMD. And then the Bomb Squad coming out of Public Enemy, all that then kind of went on to influence NWA and and sort of gangster rap, you know. So you can talk those two completely different styles of hip hop production that kind of sprang up at that point. And yeah, he was kind of more on the, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? You could easily see it's been more commercialised than. It was just, it's far less aggressive. Yeah. I think Mr. Hood's. An okay album. Um, it's quite imperfect, but right away, like you can see the production stuff is shining through. Um, not just in that, but obviously throughout his career, it's a huge thing. But he was—he always seemed to hang on to the nineties hip hop vibe, and you can see it begins here. 
Uh, did you guys dabble with this album? Did you have any highlights on it? I mean, it's this is the sort of hip hop that I never really got into. I was never into that sort of Della Soul thing. Uh, maybe just because it's too sort of flappy and happy for me. But um, it's an interesting record, and the production is really cool. Like just that, the mix of like the funk and the jazz and the sort of childish stuff is is cool. And I get I like having that sort of recurring character as well is interesting from a sort of narrative perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, this sort of hip hop leaves me fairly cold. Yeah, um, the, see the idea for the samples and all that was actually his brother who thought that up. He used to take VHS cassette tapes and then just like copy the samples off them, mm. or copy samples from them, and then insert them into songs and stuff like that. Uh, I think Figure the Speech is a pretty good song. It's got that nice kind of eighties boom bap run DMC kind of vibe where Doom's quite chill flow. Could stay away from stiff hoods, so does riff. Productions right up, songs quite clever. But a lot of retorts by riff will never. I'm no snuffhead, I prefer headsets. Decided enough said for head sweats, X this figure of speech. Um Nitty Gritty's a bit more aggressive, it feels a bit more the public enemy. And um then the single, which was kind of the one that started to give them a little bit of recognition, was Peach Fuzz, which is cool. You can kind of see the direction they were going to go on with their next album, on a song called Who Me, which is quite pivotal for them. Um, you can see, like, it kind of talks about the the, ex- the actual experience of being a black man in America, um, growing yeah. up, and he talks about himself as, like, a villain because of the, skin, the colour of his skin. The thought process of being a villain, you can already kind of see it in his head from a very young age that he was kind of thinking about duality. And his music, you know, and his persona, I suppose. Yeah, um, and I guess he's what just like early twenties at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tragedy struck not long afterwards, so they they kind of went away to record their, their next album called Black Bastards. And before they could finish it, his brother got hit by a car and went crossing an expressway in Long Island in eighteen eighty three. Uh, and Onyx left the group, so he was kind of left himself to mm-hmm. finish it. And then, uh, am I not right? In that same week, they were dropped. Yeah, so cancelled. He turned it into he turned it into Electra, and he done he done the album art for himself, uh, which is a picture of Sambo being hanged. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So like that dodgy words, but it's the kind of picking any being lynched old kind of southern racist trope cartoon. Totally. And Electra were not not impressed. Yeah, it was mostly because there was a lot of. A lot of fear around hip hop at the time because Cop Killer by Body Count had just come out uh, the year before, and mm-hmm. every every record label was getting squeaky bums, especially if they were that big, that, that big a label like Electra. So they just dropped mm-hmm. the band, gave them his masters, gave him twenty k, and basically told me fuck off. It's a year after the it's a year after the riots, right? Yeah, as well. Yeah, but it, it's um, it's interesting that it's like you know, like Cop Killer is about being at war with you know the police, and whereas this is just. You know, showing that you're a victim here. Yeah, you know, there's but something it, I mean, about it. There's something about it doesn't tally for me in that sense. You know, that then the manner of the dismissal from Electra. I mean, the timing is it's incredibly crass. I mean, okay, Electra don't have to keep a guy on their label because his brother just died. But it's a really, if if the kind of common telling of the story and it was as, as recent. You know, it was as close as like a week or so. It's really brutal, and I think when you look, okay, you can understand them being unhappy with the combination of the album art and the name, but they wouldn't be the first band in the world that's tried to release, you know, smell the glove. You know, they, they, it it wouldn't, you know, it's quite a, a trope that bands chance their arm and then the label says to them, "You need to fucking change it." Mm-hmm. It's odd that the whole thing was just scrapped and abandoned, and that something just my instincts. You know, I've got like. We'll, we're maybe going to use loads of comic book analogies. My spidey sense is tingling on that one, <laughs> man. Like, there's something just doesn't feel entirely right, and I, I mean from the perspective of I think they kind of got fucked somehow. I don't know if maybe the label said this project's got no future in it. We can't. We're not putting money into it. This boy's dead. This guy's not settled in the group. Like we're not taking this financial risk. And saw they saw an out and made a fairly ruthless call. There's some. There's something just doesn't feel right about it. You know what I mean? Like when you when you see that telling of it. I think though, the most interesting thing that I read of as a consequence of that, and I mean you're talking about him casting himself as a villain because of the colour of his skin and that. And I, I mean I'm, I guess that could well be true and you know maybe there's some basis for that i think what 
was really really interesting were some like choice quotes from Doom himself saying things like say, talking about plotting revenge on the music industry mm. if mm. phrases like uh, he, he said he was recovering from wounds and I think at that point you know because he ended up homeless basically yeah. I mean he was like sleeping on benches and it, it, like, it just um, he moved to Atlanta to try and get over all this stuff I mean I think this guy was deeply wounded by the way this went down and that feels consistent with what my instincts are telling me about the way they were dropped from that point on he seems like that kind of damaged goods guy who's like, I am going to fuck these guys however I yeah. can. And actually, like this is the one thing that when I was reading about the guy's history, where the various uh, little odd details started to all come together, things that we'll talk about later, like him not turning up for shows, sending people in any stead. I think that's an interesting reflection on where this villain character came from because he was like out for revenge like they fucking ruined his life at this point mm -hmm. they left him hanging he'd just lost his brother in a tragic accident he'd lost everything he'd been working towards it reminded me again comic book analogies it reminded me a bit of two characters both Mr Freeze and Two-Face from Batman mm -hmm. both of whom were ostensibly good guys Mr Freeze I believe if I remember rightly was trying to save his Terminally Dave's wife, wife, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and Two Face, obviously Harvey Dent, lawyer fighting the crime families, and falls falls victim to the very thing that he's he's trying to fight against, and then you know these guys were broken by the the misfortune of their circumstances, and that's how they became villains, and they were never true villains; they were almost like anti villains. You know, in the same way you get anti heroes, mm -hmm. they were like anti villains, villains that you don't particularly hate because they have a compelling reason for the things that they do, um, and it's it's quite Shakespeare actually it's, it's you know there's a lot of that and a, a lot of the classic shakespearean figures people that are driven to madness and and sort of nefarious deeds by misfortune that's actually quite relatable and i think that telling of doom is much more compelling than some of the other chat about why you like the villain characters and stuff i think this guy yeah he harbored, was driven absolutely yeah, driven he had an understandable grudge against an industry that fucked him at the I mean, in just the most crass way at his lowest point in his life and i think that's that to me really was, was what i took away from that and i found it really a really fascinating telling of that story well, I yeah because just gonna say like i'm gonna go through as chris said like your favorite rapper's favorite rapper like quotes by big rappers about him but one like that is jpeg mafia who said i looked up to mf doom in particular he left the industry and came back like revenge almost like revenge shit after tragedy like he was an anti-hero and that totally inspired me and that is exactly it um and then even the way that he ended up you know fucking with, with the industry that's completely what folk like death grips and stuff like that do as well to just put their finger up at an industry that is happy to mm -hmm. put people yeah, through it, the grinder yeah. and in some of their cases it's maybe more ideological whereas with, in Doom's case it seems more personal it's absolutely personal yeah yeah Yeah. well I mean that's definitely backed up by what you said in some interviews that I kind of listened to and read there's a cool interview with Tanisha Coates who did I think he did it for the New Yorker when, um, when Doom was recording uh, Born, Born Like This he, he talks to some of his collaborators or early friends like Prince Paul and all that and he says that yeah Doom just seemed to completely vanish nobody heard from him nobody saw him and also it's kind of like nobody was asking for him either it was almost as if he'd kind of become a bit toxic himself for some reason and nobody was asking for this maybe it's I don't think to be honest the first two albums like the first the only two albums by KMD rather are they're fine but they don't really earmark him as being a, a standout talent that people are going to go asking over you know what I mean? I, I mean, it is important though to acknowledge that Doom didn't disappear. Daniel Doomley, or like at the very most, Zen Love X disappeared, mm -hmm. and MF Doom is what came back yeah, instead. That's what and I was that is, to, yeah. that, that that's very comic book in its in its own way as well. Where you, it takes you a while to even realise who is this guy? Holy mm -hmm. fuck! That, that's that guy mm -hmm. from yeah. I from, mean, even going from supporting character to main character it's Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. going away and then Batman coming back yeah because mm -hmm. uh, Demelia said that and I don't know if you um, that affection of you I said earlier on um, one of the things he, he obviously he particularly identified with Doctor Doom and of himself as a character because no matter what the Fantastic Four did to think that they'd killed him he'd always come back and he, he loved that uh, Victor Von Doom only ever wanted to serve his people and do what he could for the country that he ruled and he would do anything for that country including tussling with the heroes if they ever got in his way but ultimately it was all about getting like doing what he felt was best for the people that he loved and he liked that that duality of still trying to get one up over the people that think they're 
you know, more powerful. It's obviously a bit of an allegory for, well, doom is a bit of an allegory for sort of socialism versus capitalism in the American way and all that. Um, but he kind of, he realised after KMD was gone and he stopped making music that if he was ever going to come back, he said, I'm going to have to come back as a character. You know, he was mm-hmm. sitting around listening to the jazz on the radio one day and he realised that he had to completely become somebody else. The major label would let him down. He was broke as fuck, he was homeless, he lost everything. And hip-hop was also changing in a way that he just didn't like. It was becoming so focused on image and lots of label mechanics mm-hmm. he just didn't agree with. And he was yeah, like, I mean, fuck it, like, I, see, I'm coming back and I'm coming back as, as nobody, really. You know? see, see, before we get too far from it, I'd like to just put a pin in that comment you made about capitalism and communism. Um, but yeah, what, what, what you're saying about him, even tonally, I noticed, and, and this is this, one, of the, one of the useful things about me and my lack of involvement in hip-hop and rap and that whole world of, of music is that I can at least shed a sort of fairly objective perspective in a fairly objective light on, on some of these subjects and it's fascinating how lyrically he had so little in common with his peers when he came back because as you say the scene had moved in this direction that you know that it, we know what it became over the next five years and the sort of subject matter that it just absolutely orbited and he never really subscribed to that and just in that one sense he's an outlier you know he, he, he'd clearly not been building as part of that he hadn't you know all these things hadn't stuck to him. He'd been developing out with that scene and therefore the product that arrived didn't have all the artefacts of other people's sort of consensus of where hip-hop was going and what it took to make it. And that's that's quite fascinating as well. Yeah, it's quite it's quite punk rock in a way, isn't it? Like the way that he would approach, he approached that. Um, yeah. He said in an interview with uh, Red Bull Music uh, Academy in 2011 that he, he always sees Doom, that particular character of Doom himself, as a sort of nasty guy with a heart of gold who's driven mad by the things that he loves. And he hates seeing it being destroyed by the forces that he kind of once tussled with, but also abhors at the same time. Um, I put a pin in that as well. <laughs> um, which I think, you know, he, he loves hip-hop, but he sees it being destroyed by all this imagery and fake bullshit, and he could see that he was never really going to be somebody that was going to be hanging around with, like you said, many of the people that were drag- dragging the whole thing in another direction, yeah. which was quite different from the quote-unquote more pure feeling that it had back in the early 90s. Uh, he's definitely not a fiddy cent guy, is he? Yeah, totally. And he's going to take revenge against and the quote the industry that deformed him, as he said. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the other pivotal quotes from around about that time where he was talking about uh, recovering from wounds and things as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, so he, he fucks off for a few years. Um, he starts he starts turning up open night nights with women's tights over his head, like completely masking his face, and he starts wearing Halloween masks that are spray painted silver. That would- that would get you all kinds of fucking cancelled in Glasgow these days. <laughs> yeah, <man>. totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then uh, he kind of wrote that. He wrote this album, Operation Doomsday. Hold your insulting tongue and mark my words well. I have plotted my revenge on you. Now I shall have it. Bid farewell to your friends. Doom hates us all. One of the things that he kind of spoke about as well is when he was kind of looking over the scene and and how rappers were operating, and it kind of comes back to something you touched on there, Chris, is he actually took rhyming all the way back to when he used to just do it at school for fun and write notebooks, just just to to pull words together and and the way that they sound and and their assonance or consonance, you know what I mean, the way that those internal rhymes and the way that rhyme structure works. And that just, nobody was really doing that. In the mainstream, anyway, there was obviously mm-hmm. some uh, alternative contemporaries of his that were doing mm-hmm. it. Madlib, of course, being one of them, and Jay Dilla, and everybody that was orbiting him too. But he was he was dead dead set and carving his own path. And Operation Doomsday is is, is basically a mission statement, you know, straight straight, mm-hmm. straight from the get go. Right above my government, Dumoulin, either unmarked or engraved, hey, who's to say? I wrote this one in BCDC, old section. And one that's quite revered, I noticed, because, I mean, as part of my due diligence here, man, I went and collated some of the kind of best of retrospective lists, and Operation Doomsday was second in the majority of them, mm-hmm. uh, with Mad Villainy being first. Mm-hmm. Um, it obviously... Mm, food, which we'll talk about shortly, I'm sure, uh, was the only one that occasionally swapped places with Operation Doomsday uh, for for third. The rest were all well behind. You know, the rest there was no real consensus on their their placing. But this top three was the same everywhere I looked. It's a really good album, man. I, I like this album a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Doomsday, the song Doomsday is a total fucking jam. It's sample, it's sample shady, and it yeah. totally works. You, you know, there's a there's a whole mashup album of MF Doom and Shady. In a hurry, just be cute and don't worry. Time to make a nigga hallucinate and admit it. Then she started losing weight, letting everybody hit it. <laughs> really? It's called uh, Shady Villain. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, he sounds really energised and old school on it, which I guess would have made him stand out straight away amongst the pack in, in 1999 when it, when it came out. Um, rhymes Like Dimes is also a total classic. I sell rhymes like dimes. The one who mostly keep cash but brag about the broker time. Talking rhymes like the issue just having to see me trick. Classical slapstick rappers need chapstick. A lot of them sound like they're in a talent show, so I give them something to remember like the Alamo. Tally ho a hot job. Yeah, it, it, it kind of talks about what he, what he references back, sorry, what he spoke about when he was growing up, you know. He, like 80s hip hop, like alongside slow songs, you know. Kinda, it's a Quincy Jones sample in that song, funnily enough. You can totally see how many people bumped his style from this album straight away. That new soul and jazz meets hip hop thing was so fucking influential and it still is to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's loads of early 90s R&B and like New Jack Swing sort of samples and feel to it. Yeah, and like Red and Gold and The Finest as well. Mm-hmm. You really get that. And uh, yeah, but I, I think it's a great record. Yeah, I thought TikTok was good as well. Um, that's got MF Grimm on it. And I, I, we don't really have time to go to MF Grimm because his story itself is also fucking fascinating. But yeah, they fell out and shit and he ended up doing like diss tracks against him and stuff and it was just quite embarrassing for, for Grimm. But yeah, uh, he, he worked with him quite a lot in the early days. Um, after this album came out, it becomes really fucking prol- prolific. In the next six years, he releases 17 albums <laughs> all under uh-huh. all under various names. That's fucking Frank Zappa-esque. Totally cool. is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to take a second to kind of talk a little bit about his characters, if you'll indulge me, because there, yes. mm-hmm. there are a few. Be, be indulged. Um, so Metal Fingers is what he used for all the instrumental stuff he did. That's kind of what he calls himself as a producer. The MF and MF Dune means Metal Fingers. Um, and all the Special Herbs albums, which are all the instrumental ones, are under that name. Biggest and oldest robbery in the history of New York, and a one-man job of that. So, you know who I am. Tell me, how did you figure it out? If you would permit me a moment to light my pipe, when it comes here to Um, MF Doom or Doom is kind of his main one or whenever he was asked about it he would always say this is this is who I am for now and there's stylized in capitals stylized in all forget. caps yeah, it's, he, he reminds John Mad Villainy <laughs> it's all caps <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this, this is the old school hip hop dude and he, he actually there's actually a really good bit of character work on Mad Villainy which we'll talk about when we come to the album about this character he's an old school hip hop guy he's in his 40s which is obviously much older than Doom was at the time um, his voice although is not that much older We'll get into it, and he, you know he is like mm. thirty-two, I think, and he does mention that he is he is older compared to contemporaries, you know, coming out with you know early records. Yeah, as you, people might have noticed that his voice has changed a wee bit or quite a lot actually since KMD in this is because apparently he smoked a total power of weed and his voice just got deeper. <laughs> um, is that what I have to do then? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Tom Waits' method. And both MF Doom, MF Doom with both lyricist and MC and producer in this guy, so he's all three things. Um, the comic influence is clearly uh, it's most apparent throughout this character. He used to love how Marvel Marvel comics would take characters, personalities, and frame them and shape their motives in lots of different and interesting ways, even if they're the good guy or the bad guy. And he kind of leans into that a lot in his music. He said that learning learning that when he was growing up was something that was quite revelatory to him. He realised that positive and negative can exist in the same person, and it seems like that's kind of what helped him through that tragedy and kind of helped define the creation of Doom, the character, like we kind of spoke about earlier on. Um... You know, King Ghidorah, um, who is kind of... Another Godzilla villain. He's a three-headed monster from space who views Earth from afar, and he actually said in an interview that Doom gets his instructions from Ghidorah. <laughs> he, only, he only really used this when he did the Monster Island, yeah, Monster Island Sars album. Um, Sars? Sars, yeah. And then yeah. he's done it. He kind of pops in every now and again, and including on one album called Take Me to Your Leader. While simultaneously saving the streets Bombing and calming the savage with above average beats Get the cabbage in the most lavish sweets Consummate marriages in between the middle of sheets Provider of the middle eats Trying to be the illest dad that killed me 
Um, and I think it's really good. Uh, he's only on four tracks on it, rapping. He put, does all the production. But the cool thing about that record is all the characters that are on it, all the other rappers, kind of talk about how they're trembling in fear from Ghidorah. And this is a stylistic leap for him. Son- like Sonically, as a producer, it's, it's, his style really advances on the album. Um, the beats are smoother. Um, and as, as, when he does jump in as an MC, it's a lot more at ease. Um, it's also louder and more energetic sounding which I quite liked as well um, worth checking out just to see the other side of his persona um, it's quite a it's quite a weird album to get into but definitely worth it definitely worth a couple of listens yeah there's a, the song Phaser is really good the first one it's got a kind of smooth orchestral sort of R&B soul sample and then some mm-hmm. Godzilla samples which kind of make up the bulk of it also like a song called Fastlane which has got this really cool repeating guitar loop in it which he doesn't really do hooks very often, but that's kind of hooky, and it, it feels dead apocalyptic as well. Destination top, the cash game. See, keep like a missile with mad aim. Who can't blame in this conspiracy campaign? A mystery the most. Universal host, he is hot, yup, more often than not. Vision clear like a Hindu with the third eye dot. Yeah, but a lot, a lot of Godzilla samples in that album, as you'd imagine, because of the name of the character. And then the next one uh, after that, which is which is an album that came out the same year, which is Victor Vaughn, which is a play on Victor Von Doom, or the real name of the character, Doctor Doom from the Fantastic Four and other Marvel stuff. Um, he says that this is this is basically like an eighteen or nineteen year old kid who loved him and wants to be just like him, but also wants to destroy him. <laughs> uh, and on the two albums that he did as Victor Vaughn, he only raps. So there's no production at all. He leaves it to other people, and everything's a lot dark art and grimy art and it's a lot more urban feeling and mm-hmm. kind of really grim mm-hmm. sounding it, it's maybe worth mentioning that on uh, Rate Your Music the second Victor Vaughn album Venomous Villain was voted as the worst Doom album yeah I, I didn't even talk I'm not even talk, I wouldn't even talk about this I didn't even take notes on that album but I think the first one's <laughs> I think the first one's pretty good I actually like Vaudeville Villain yeah yeah, yeah. Um, Radon's really cool whoever go after burn their hands and lips a lot of rappers ran and abandoned their whips. It's just another day in the dunya. Don't leave your girl around me, he might sooner. Up under the window, serenade like a cooner. Stay ahead of the game and cut off. It sounds really menacing. It's got this really weird electronic beat and, and kind of weird blips and bloop to make it sound really menacing and dark. And Yeah, I think that one's produced by Heat Sensor, who I think ended up doing him and... RJD2 track on that yeah Saliva yeah but yeah, yeah uh, Heat Sensor does most of my favourite tracks on that album um, the, RG, the Saliva R2, R2 DJ one it sounds like DJ Shadow almost it's really really cool hell is hot as hell boss tell my horse he said broads call me horny I make sure I throw them back if they's too scrawny or bony bony MCs use a standing leave them hanging like if I ain't know where his hands been hussy how about we bloody up you just for me yeah, um, and then like as Chris said, he did another Victor Vaughn album, which we won't talk about because it's totally pish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not th- these are not my words. That's just based on some aggregator site, but yeah, um, it didn't it didn't do very well. It didn't land. Uh, it's not even a Spotify, so that that tells you what you thought about it. <laughs> um, if you liked them and and you have, or if you haven't heard them and you like what you hear in this podcast, definitely worth checking out Vo- uh, Vaudevilleville and and, and uh, Take Me to Your Leader. I think they're pretty solid albums. But after that does come mm, Food, which is actually the album I almost picked. Yeah, I think we decided not to go for this because, I don't know, I just like the idea of the fact that he's collaborating, which is like a big part of what he does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, we'll talk about Mad Villainy, but mm, Food is a, a fucking great record. Super. I got this girl and she wants me to do I told her I'll come scoop her around and she said... Super. That sounds great. Shorty girl's a trooper. No matter what I needed to do, she'd be like, on his own throne, the boss like King Cooper. On the microphone. He- yeah, he, so apparently he began planning this particular next MF Doom album directly after um, Operation Doomsday. So even though he was doing all these other things around about it, he was still thinking about what the genesis of the next MF Doom record would be. And this is it. Um, there's actually not as much rapping on this as there is on his other albums so far. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more production heavy. And mm-hmm. he's got way more VHS sort of recordings from old cartoons, and obviously there's quite a lot about food on it as well. He, he kind of brings more of a sense of humour to the character. Yeah, so it's kind of, for want of a better word, it's a, it's a little bit puerile. Yeah. But um, I did like musically find that this album a bit more engaging. Mm-hmm. I have to say, and maybe because it was more production focused, and you know, I'm not really. 
it's, it's not really giving anything away to say that I don't get massively hooked by a lot of the vocals on these records, but uh, production-wise, I could I could get into this. You would only want to use the raps where there was no food associated with the use of the rap. So uh, some potential uses include um, wrapping bulk packed in a larger package, and in that case, the, the wrap would actually form into a sauce. When you the VHS thing doesn't work for me, but in between that, there's some really interesting moments. I thought that one beer and uh, Deep Fried Friends, the two back-to-back, mm-hmm. uh, were both pretty compelling, like really different vibes, so, you know, a nice big open drum sound on one beer. Beat up all the MCs and drink them under the table like it's on me. Put it on my tab, kid, however you get there. Foot it, cab it, iron horse it, you leave it on your face, forfeit. Of course the mic, hold it like the heat, he might toss it. Told him, tell him they stole it. I, I kind of the deep fried friends thing just had a really kind of party vibe. Like the way it had been assembled was there's some nice and quite just really accessible about it. Just so you can feel me like a steel knife. At least so you can see the white of the eyes. Bright with surprise once they finish spitting lies. Associates is your boys, your girls, bitches, niggas, homies. Close, but really don't know me. Mom, dad, comrade, peeps, brothers, sisters, duns, dunnies. Some come around when they need some. So I can so I, I can actually see why people really connect to that album. Um as I say, the food thing, although on one hand I appreciate the, the light-heartedness of it and it's it's always refreshing to hear hip-hop that's not about fucking bullshit, you know, a bit braggadocio, but it is maybe a little bit too much in the other direction. <laughs> I think it sounds like a really good counterpoint to the two albums, the three albums he put out before, you know, the the, the vaudeville villain is really dark and really kind of more grounded in reality and the King Ghidorah one, whilst also being ridiculous because it's about a fucking Godzilla villain, is also quite a grim sounding album so it's good to get some levity I think especially so so fucking quickly after those two albums as well um, mm. so there's a sort of elephant in the room for me and I'm not really sure when is appropriate in the podcast to drop it in but I feel I should probably just drop it in mm. and then we can work from it because let's be honest when it comes to the actual album I don't have a shitload to contribute because <laughs> I, I feel a wee bit like I just watched a movie in Russian with the subtitles off so um I'm going to do the to take the Harvey Dent analogy right. I'm going to go the the two face route again and switch faces, okay? Because on one hand, I found that story about his treatment at the hands of Electra on the back of his brother's death, about getting dropped, about the impact it had in his life. Uh, I found that really compelling, and actually, like I say, I found the Shakespearean qualities of the way he came back as a totally different character, sort of reborn, but reborn in a, a kind of dark way. Um, I found that really compelling. I found all of these things tied the whole narrative together quite nicely. The whole Doom thing, he wanted revenge on an industry. And I mean quite literally as a human being, not not just in an abstract sense or a comedic sense or whatever. He he literally was like, these guys fucked me, so I'm going to be a success and I'm going to rub it in their face and every dollar I get that they don't get, that's a bit of revenge. And every time I fuck them over in some way, which I'm sure we'll touch on, they don't get that, and that's that's my revenge. I like that. In fact, I really like that aspect of it. Um, going back to the pin you put in the capitalist communist thing, for me, that's indicative of something that people that talk about Doom, or some of the people that I saw talking about Doom, in my humble opinion, seem to get wrong. Like they they over err in what they read into his narrative because it strikes me that the guy was actually quite grounded. Like, certainly for the kind of humorous nature of some of the lyrics, it strikes me that he's quite a kind of, like, down-to-earth dude that had some bad things go on, was a talented musician, had mm-hmm. some interesting ideas, and made his peace with working outside the mainstream to, to some extent, even though he's very highly regarded. Um, I mean, obviously, when it comes to this kind of music, I struggle to engage with it, quite often because of the subject matter, let alone the delivery. But... Sometimes with likes of food, this is why I think it's a good time to drop this in. This sounds to me like the hip hop equivalent of pop punk, and I think there's too much intellectualising around it. When really, that there's something to be said for taking something at face value. The guy sings an entire album really about food and beer and and whatever, yeah. right? And there's there's not really any clear signs of deep. Uh, particularly involved subtexts in there and, and it seems and, and when I saw people really spewing forth on the subtleties of this it's like 
I'm not seeing that. It doesn't make me think any less of it. I think the guy actually seems like quite a compelling guy. I don't think we're doing him any favours by trying to pile onto him all these complicated interpretations of his music. I'm like, no, I think the guy just made this record and this is part of like just his response to being dropped by a major label. Um, it, what, what does fuck me off a bit is that when it gets really heavy into the comic book characters... You know, and the, the VHS clips, it's just annoying. It's it's just fucking annoying. It, it's it's like, this guy's this is an adult, and it's just covered in clips of old Hanna-Barbera and Marvel cartoons, and it, it doesn't work for me at all. Like, instrumentally, I actually quite like it. Like, I'm talking about mm, food. Like, the instrumental bits that aren't overlaid by shit samples of stupid old fucking cartoons for kids, they work really well. And I just think there's like... There's the problem with artists like this that are this enigmatic, and certainly the problem with artists like this that die and don't leave like a very detailed account of what they were trying to accomplish, they just become like people sort of impart their own interpretations onto the artist, and it piles and piles and piles up, especially if they're quite revered. I think we're giving Doom way too many layers, and I think like ultimately it's it's quite light-hearted and tongue-in-cheek. The boy liked to smoke. He was a very talented musician and he fluctuated between singing kind of unconventional things, doing a bit of kind of fun comic book stuff and then doing like stuff about food and things like that. I, that That's what really turns me off. Like there's there's too much of the, the writer in the articles about him and not enough about him. He's got a compelling story. People don't need to create it for him by adding all these textual layers that don't seem to actually be there. And that... I, I don't know, that that just really fu- fucks me off a wee bit when I'm listening to this and yeah, lyrically can't get into it, it's just I'm glad, as I said, I'm glad it doesn't revel in braggadocio um, but, and, and as I've hopefully proved over the course of our podcast, I can really engage with, with hip hop that doesn't need to be Dostoevsky but it does have to have some sort of like substantive content to it and um it just doesn't have that for me. I can definitely appreciate the production. I really, you know, obviously I had to wrestle a lot of that for the J Dilla stuff and J Dilla obviously ended up doing stuff with him and that side of it, yes. The the stupidity of some of the subject matter, um, this the, the annoying nature of a lot of the comic book samples. I mean, this is the hip hop version of pop punk and if we're if we're casting it as anything other than that, it doesn't mean it's bad, but it's it's not some giant fucking intellectual achievement. It's it's pop punk. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you might have misunderstood my comment earlier on. What I was saying. Oh no, that's that's <laughs> sorry, that's not a rebuke to you. I'm just trying to put my feelings out there because I feel like I don't want to just be of no use. This is the problem with these kind of episodes. I don't want to just be in, like unrelentingly negative. I'm not trying to be negative. Actually, I do quite like the guy, but I just think like it's very difficult for me to get into this for that for that reason. I really do. When I hear this, I hear a hip-hop equivalent of pop-punk. I hear a light-hearted, fun, well-produced thing, and that is not to say that there's not very good pop-punk bands. We've done entire episodes on that. I just think it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't mean it for it to sound like I was putting forward the argument. I don't think there's any real anti-capitalist vibe to anything that he does. Um, when I brought up that comment earlier on, I was kind of more mostly referring to how Doctor Doom as a character is from Latveria, which is seen as being a communist country allegory, you know, dictatorship and, and Marvel, hence the capitalism, communism thing with the Fantastic Four. Um, that's what I was talking about there. I don't actually think Doom is anything like that as, a, as an artist. I don't think that subtext exists in his music personally, and honestly... Um, I haven't mentioned it anywhere at all in my notes apart from no, but, that thing on Doctor Doom himself. <laughs> but I, th- I think Chris is right in saying that other reviewers and writers quite often over-egg the pudding when it comes to finding subtext. Yeah. That's the phrase, yeah. They they really do. And I don't think it does it any favours because I'm, I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying that when you try and make it into something it's not, it, it's patronising. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's kind of patronising. I mean, personally, from my perspective, I... I've ne- I never really read about MF Doom. It, he's always just been somebody that I've listened to because I heard about him. I'd, he probably got recommended to me back in like 2004 on Pandora or something like that. So I've always just liked him for his for music's sake. And to me, Food is is exactly that. It's a fun album. Um, maybe part of that is the fact that I don't actually give a shit about lyrics <laughs> too much. Uh, it, but y- y- you know what. <laughs> Dave, Dave, you'll love this. I'm going to make the first racist comment of the night, okay? But you'll be pleased to know that it, it's probably anti-white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
predominantly where I saw this was in the the the, the pages or the digital pages of your kind of Brooklyn vegan kind of largely sort of white middle-class urban kind of hipster publications there seemed to be too much of like guardian writers trying to justify how good doom was on an intellectual level instead of just being like it's good because it's fun it's good it's good because he's a fucking amazing rapper and it's really good tunes (laughs) and it seemed like it seemed like these writers felt compelled to try and squeeze it into some fucking like hip-hop radiohead category of like i mean that's truly the that's the pitchfork vortex right there yeah. is is trying to over analyze hip-hop um yeah, trying to yeah, legitimize it, it as a it's, yeah it, it speaks to the kind of dissonance between high art and low art right these these guys are and it is predominantly guys white guys that are writing on, yeah, the, on these websites it, it absolutely is um, yeah. are trying to are basically trying to intellectualize something which is in itself quite intellectual as an exercise if you think if, if you just take it away from being well it has to have some other subtext well no because and this is actually a really good segue into the next album that he did, because the next fucking album he did after him food was for Adult Swim, and it's a collaboration with fucking Danger Mouse, who was really big at the time. So mm-hmm. straight away, if you're trying to intellectualise it as being like this kind of weird pseudo-political bent, you fucked it right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the next thing it, he did was for Cartoon Network. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think we've actually hit on something via this album that is relevant to a lot of our hip-hop discussions, is that to not be able to give it inherent value for what it is, you know what I mean? And I guess that's a sort of cultural and race racial dissonance because you're judging black art through white parameters. It just, I think, just just any art. It's like it's like saying that punk rock doesn't matter unless it has some huge social commentary. And some of the punks were just singing bullshit. You know, it was still yeah. good. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, there's loads of music in the world that doesn't have any particularly deep meaning. It doesn't devalue it as music. And too often, you end up reading the reviews of Doom and just rolling your eyes because somebody has extrapolated it into some giant fucking like what's his name, Adam Curtis esque sort of uh, autopsy of Western society or neoliberalism you're like no it's a fucking fun album the guy was just a guy that liked making this and there's enough of a justification in his own personal backstory about revenge and comic book villains you don't need to find all these other fucking ridiculously superimposed reasons to to, to explain it speaking of uh, being like predominantly white male writers and stuff like that like the Tanisha uh, quotes um, article that that I spoke about earlier on on the New Yorker is called The Mask of Doom and he he intellectualizes doom in a way which is like much makes a lot more sense. He talks about like his legacy or kind of the way that he sets in music for him as a person and how how hip hop works for that and how how he as a writer tuned out of hip hop when he started to go all sort of gangstery and all that and mm-hmm. it was and he started getting into jazz and and neo soul and a lot of people started to do that. Mm-hmm. Doom was one of the very few people at the time who thought I'm going to take them. And make that the new kind of hip hop for for other people, the alternative hip hop, and it brought people who are sick of it, who were just not really in it for the Bagado show, they kind of come back and go, "Oh, hang on, somebody's doing something interesting." That that in itself isn't as an intellectual gold. Like you could talk about that all fucking day till the cows come home. You don't need to fucking over egg it with trying to impose something on it that's not really there. You know that is that is part that's maybe not obvious subtext, but it's definitely in his head when he's thinking about making this music. I mean, cer- certainly as well, I don't want to give the impression that this is a, a, an exclusively sort of white-on-black music phenomenon. I mean, the, the the world is full of music writers trying to write themselves into a job by coming up with fucking bullshit about all kinds of things. And hopefully that's something we're able to actually cut through now and again. It's the one thing I do feel quite at liberty to do here, you know, because we're not looking to make friends, but equally we're not looking to make enemies. We're just, just trying to actually cut through that. And it, it is really... Doom, Doom is one of the acts so where I've noticed that it's most pronounced where you're, you're listening to it and you're reading it and there's no real connection with what you're listening to and what you're reading a lot of the time you're just rolling your eyes going Jesus fucking Christ just just, just enjoy yourself totally. you know? uh, I might be one of those writers that also writes himself in a job someday Chris so <laughs> so, might, so, might, so might Dave right now yeah, and yeah. I, de- I, I definitely was for a while you've so, done it uh, we're all, yeah, we're mean, all part of this, the, the this complex is, this, this, this podcast is penance as, as it really is <laughs> After the album mm, Food, which is the final album released in 2004, he then was asked by Cartoon Network, Adult Swim particularly, on Cartoon Network, if he'd like to do an album with Danger Mouse. 
Ray. Digest the group and sell the poop on eBay. Danger with the best screaming, shoot the DJ. Doom clicking over two chickens three way. Four in the five, a cork on the freeway. Villain find a way to make him pay whatever we say. State your intentions. I really love your tape. I thought some have a fairly respectable track record of working with good bands. I mean, they've worked with a few bands that we've covered. Yeah, so they've released a few. They've released quite a lot of singles, particularly hip hop. Uh, over the course of the past like 10 15 years, and and electro, I mean, the uh, Blank Mass did one as well, and metal, yeah, so they've done Sleep, Death Heaven, mm-hmm. yep, yep, done a lot of cool stuff, yeah. But um, I mean, this is early, this is way before a lot of that stuff, yeah. That's also one of the, the kind of the first real big things that they maybe did, um, yeah. It's just when they were still doing Space Ghost, I think. Actually. So, am yeah. I right in saying because I, I mean, I, I don't know culture, <laughs> <laughs> is Adult Swim like the late night? Brand of Cartoon Network, yeah. So it's on the yeah. same channel. Like if you're on number forty eight, and then it just becomes that. So it's the same. Is it after after nine pm or something? Yeah. Uh, okay. But it's like they they had a really. Uh, this is a total back of a napkin sketch of Adult Swim, but they had a really innovative set of shows, which actually started out. A lot of them were based around old Hanna Barbera cartoons that they'd licensed, mm. um, and this is actually kind of fitting for MF Doom because there was a lot of old superhero stuff in there. Uh, but old, like old Hanna Barbera cartoons like Birdman, uh, Space Ghost, um, they had Sea Lab, they had some Scooby Doo stuff. They had rights to some of that, and what they did was they kind of took a lot of the animations and they sort of recut it. It's, it's almost like audio sampling. Mm-hmm. They would like sample the cartoons. And then insert them into completely different narratives. So in Space Ghost, it became Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And they took the guy and turned him into like a talk show host. And they would bring on Metallica or Moby or Sonic Youth or whatever. And they would stage an interview where... They, they, you know, they'd ask a question that probably wasn't the question that Space Ghost asked, and then the person would answer. I think Bjork actually did one, and the, and then they would give like a, a crazy answer, and the, the thing would go off the rails. It was, it was actually it was really good. Um, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, was good. C Lab Twenty Twenty One was really good, which I only just realised is actually now. And um, mm. yeah, they, they they had a really innovative line and in programming in the early days, which then kind of grew. They got like Metalocalypse and all those kind of things, in, didn't they? And uh, what else did they? Have. They had um, on movies. That was one of the Aqu- first shows. That was great. A- Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yep. They had um, they had some comedy stuff. What was the who's that guy that was like alt right that had a comedy show for a while on Adult Swim and they had to kind of disavow him. He did like a cop character in it. Oh. We talked about him um, on a Nexus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't remember the guy's name. They had a lot of like edgy stuff. Um, Eric Andre, I think, did some stuff on on there as well. Um, show still on it, is it not? Is it? Right, fucking okay, mental well, by the way there you go <laughs> anyway so it's like a really eclectic comedy channel it's actually like, I think like even though a lot of it's animated it's it's really really quite funny at times it's kind of quite grown up and it is literally like an adult version of Cartoon Network but mm-hmm. they kind of expanded the brand and sort of embraced the kind of audiences it was attracting a lot of stoners let's be honest I, I was heavily into Adult Swim at my, my peak smoking time and uh, it was fucking brilliant for that so they got into like music that those people connected with and I think it's no coincidence that the likes of, you know, MF Doom, who, who liked to smoke, a lot of these acts were really keen. Sleep, who had fucking, I mean, sleep are just made of weed. So um, it makes sense. And there's kind of brand consistency there. And they've kind of taken that forward and actually done some pretty cool stuff. There's some really good, distinct individual singles that have been released through their singles uh, project on Adult Swim. Um, yeah, so th- this album kind of came about when I don't know if I asked them to do something together uh, they'd actually worked together on a song called November Has Come on the Gorilla's second album Demon Days it's actually a really good song A spigot. My guess is yes, you can. Like, can I kick it? Wicked. Lick a shot if you happy and you know it. Um, one of the very few good gorilla songs. Uh, and yeah, they, they collaborate together, called call themselves Danger Doom, and the album's called The Mouse and the Mask. It has lots of samples from Adult Swim cartoons in it, including quite a lot of Aquatine Hunger Force. Straps loose, diagnosis, shell shock from Totem Toast. You still can hear the bells rock, doc, another loading dose. He claimed he couldn't take the racket, faked his own escape in an eight ball straight jacket. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this animal here, this mm-hmm. um, also is totally in line with his stuff anyway, because he was already sampling loads of cartoons in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and then also the cast actually appeared to, to do brand new voice bits 
on a lot of these things as well, which is which is very very cool, uh, including hearing some of Aquadine Humber for Hunger Force rapping, which is a bit funny, I think. Um, this is a funny record, right? I think this is a quite quite a quite a fun listen. This album. I can't really imagine the meatball rapping. Am I going to have to find that and cut it in? <laughs> uh, which one is the meatball? The meatball. Can't remember. I mean, the meatball is the meatball. Somebody, so. somebody with the, somebody with the weirdest voice raps. We need food. Where are you doing this? I'm rocking. Yeah. No, no, I see that. What for? Mama. That, um, I want just some stuff of butchers and hoes. That's a kind of yeah, mouth. it's like, yeah, <laughs> he, he does it, does it, he does an MF Doom rap from in food at the end of one of the songs. It's quite funny. <laughs> uh, uh, so basically, it was an album backed by Cartoon Network, as we said. Uh, Danger Mouse on production and Doom is just the MC, no production for him. It's actually kind of batshit crazy to think about this now as being like the way it came together and, and all the weird samples and all the weird cast that are on it. But it's really charming and really affable and. Quite comic. I mean, around about the same time, that he obviously mad, mad villain happened as well, and this is a much different kettle of fish from that. It's really absurd. It's really goofy. And there's some great guests on it as well. Ghostface Killers on it. He does a fucking great. He's he's one of the best songs on it actually. The Mask, and then CeeLo Green's on it, but he does this really kind of low key backing vocal on a song called Benzy Box. If you didn't know he was on it, you if you didn't know it was him that was on it, you would never know that it was his vocal. And then there's a sort of recut of one of the songs from uh, Mfood, which is the one I'm talking about, called Space Hose. It has Space Ghost on it. That's quite mm-hmm. funny as well. Um, it's a total romp of an album. It's just so much fun. Uh, and it's dead short as well. It's only like half an hour. It's only 40 minutes long. Like, it, it is fun. It's um, it's interesting that it's kind of a commission, but it's done with a lot of heart. And, like, I mean, I, I really like Danger Mouse's stuff. The production is great. That's one thing I get, like, just throughout MF Doom's stuff, is, like, yeah, there's anger there, but he never takes himself too seriously. A lot of his stuff is just about having a bit of fun. And, I mean, this is just all about having fun, but it works. Mm-hmm. So after this album, McKenna, he slows down quite considerably after this record. He does a couple of collaborations before his next solo album. One which I one which I really like actually is uh, he appears on the Grind Date, which is the De La Soul album. There's a song with them called Rock Cocaine Flow, and its flow just fits in, man. I mean, it, I can't believe it taken him that long to work with them because they were clearly an influence on him. But this has actually got quite nice early 2000s production. This doesn't really sound that old school compared to some of the other stuff that D- Doom had kind of been on. Uh, and he, he slots in so well. The song is a total banger. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's quite low key, but it's a total head bop. Really enjoyed that. And he also appears on uh, GTA Chinatown Wars soundtrack with Ghostface Killer doing a song called Chinatown Wars. Um, I think Ghostface Killer's a pretty good rapper on, on, on individual songs. I don't know if I can stomach a whole album with his stuff. Mm. Uh, I know he's a great friend of yours, Chris. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I have I have pulled his half-eaten chicken wings out the back of a couch, so yeah, we're pretty close. <laughs> uh, it actually has a proper chorus to that song, that Chinatown War song, which a lot of Doom songs do not have. And it really, really works for me. He actually collaborated with him uh, on an EP as well called Doomstarks. Well, a couple actually, I say an EP, it was a single called Doomstarks, and they were actually due to collaborate together. But it just never seemed to happen, despite the fact they were quite close friends and had worked together on various things over the years. They never managed to do a, a full album. And then he, he comes back in 2009 with born like this a folder and his grip on a boulder bolster they supposed to know the show with his aura glow get from out the road when he get dough was horrible time is money spend way save invest a fest the 10 case of cave a chicken chest s yes y'all a double get your trickles the best ball is he drops the mf because it's too formal and just calls himself doom mm. <laughs> uh, same character though uh dave i know you like this album so i'm gonna let you talk about it for a little bit well yeah interestingly enough <sighs> I really liked this record when it came out, um, 
it was this is maybe like the first MF Doom record that I actually got into, and I haven't listened to it for a long time until like this last couple of weeks, and we've been catching up on on him, and oh god, it's not as good as I remember. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a good album. <laughs> I think I'm just I was swung by Gazillion Ear because I absolutely love that track. It's a um, fucking banger. That's probably the best song on it. Yeah, and I mean that's Jay Dilla uh, production as well, and mm-hmm. um, it's not a terrible record, but it's it's top heavy. By the time you're getting on to track eleven, like track twelve, microwave, mayo, and and stuff like that, there's just nothing really happening. Mayonnaise, eat it up. Microphone, microwave, mayonnaise. His own way was strange, but it matters not. Tuned into a frequency tone that shattered rock. Hold it down like Shatner do Spock. Rapper jocks need to put a sock in a chatterbox. I just found myself like I was walking just on my you know daily government allowed walk listening to this record and I just kept zoning out I I think like sonically it's the one that's most similar to Mad Villainy and I just in my head I always had it as a proper follow up to it but it just doesn't have the just doesn't have the same vibe to it and I guess we've talked like he he is a rapper that isn't into hooks um, and that's part of you know what he does but um, there's having no hooks and then there's just being quite boring in this record it's just quite boring There's maybe an argument to to strike a balance there. Yeah, like like I said, uh, in at least one of the aficionado lists of his back catalogue that I, I read, uh, this was bang last out of all of his records. Um, regardless of the the collab with Jay Dilla, they said that just as an album, it just doesn't work. It doesn't mm-hmm. get any of the magic. Well, it's got it's got another version of Lightworks on it, which is a song that's on Donuts that he did with Jay Dilla. Lost a few to stew beef, new referees. What a remarkable team! Show your teeth. It's not as good as Jay Dilla's version, but it's still it's still a good song. Uh, a song called Angels with Ghostface Killer, who we've just mentioned, is also on it. It's a cover of Robbie Williams. Ah, no. Yeah. Sud- <laughs> suddenly I'm interested. It's, a, it's, a, it's got a totally old school hip hop feel at Old Wu-Tang. Um, and it's got a Mr. T sample, which is quite funny. But it's also got one of the most homophobic songs I've ever heard, and they're called Batty Boys. Yeah, but That's interesting. is that not is that I mean, homophobic he's in, he's in or is he, Yeah, exactly. He's talking yeah. about homophobia, but I mean that's one that you could get entangled in trying to understand. Layers, but layers of irony. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's so, calling Batman and Robin and Aquaman gay and all that, you know. So it's like, well, that's kind of on brand for a villainous comic book character, I suppose. Um, but yeah, after that, he just kind of he kind of tails off. Um, so we're gonna kind of we're gonna draw a line underneath this for this week, and I know we're dropping another two-parter on you, fine folks. But hey, fuck it, we think this warrants it. So come back for part two of Doom. As yeah, we we'll talk, talk about, about his yep. later career, the album that we're actually talking about, and then of course uh, Nexus time. I I have I mean what I lack in hip hop knowledge I've made up for in a beast of a nexus this week. Good I've stuff. also got a fairly sizable nexus, so yeah. Mm-hmm. I've actually got two, and they're both quite short. So, well, there you go. <laughs> Classic. See you next week. Yeah.